Well, thrilled to have you here and uh, to worship together. We're going to look into God's Word for a few minutes here, have communion together, and then end with some worship. So if you're new, that's kind of what's coming down uh, the line here. We're just excited that, that you'd take the chance to hang out with us a little bit. If you've been coming for a long time, just so thrilled that you're connected in a part. We want the church to be a church where we, we all feel a sense of family and a sense of cheering and championing one another moving forward in faith with Christ. And so uh, we are starting a brand new series. If you've been around here a while, you kind of know we teach in a series format. We do, whether it's a couple weeks or whether it's a little bit longer, we do that sometimes with topics, like we just finished a series on words. And if you missed any of that, I just want to encourage you to go back to that. We challenged one another with a couple verses I am not giving away free chicken right now, so the challenge is still there uh, for you to memorize and eternalize and live out those verses of James 1.19, Ephesians 4.29, but sometimes throughout the year we take and kind of tackle a couple different Bible books or books of the Bible, and so tonight we're in Titus, and so if you have your Bible or if you want to open up the sermon notes in the app, you can go there. Titus is after First and Second Timothy. It's one of the pastoral epistles that the Apostle Paul writes to the church, and really to Titus himself, but it's passed along to the church to say, here's what I want you to focus on as you're establishing the church, as you're leading this church, as you're trying to, to get things moving. And Titus is a, an interesting book. It's three chapters, so we're going to spend how many weeks? Guess? Three. Okay, good job. All right. So we're going to look at that uh, this week. David's going to preach next week at chapter two, and we'll look at chapter three, and then we're into Christmas. Like, what? It's already here? And then uh, January, we're excited. We're going to look at a, um, a series all about the gospel and the full extent of what that means when we understand it completely. And so we want to look at that, and then we're kind of into the book of John, looking at the life of Jesus. And so there's where we're going for the next few months. Hang out with us, uh, journey with us. So uh, tonight, Titus. Titus is mentioned 13 different times in the writings of Paul. He was one that probably, more than likely, Paul led to the Lord and then discipled him a little bit. And that you may, uh, this was after his first Roman imprisonment, and he writes this letter back in about 63 AD to Titus that he left on the island of Crete. Now, Crete is about a seven-hour ferry ride from Athens straight down into the ocean. It's about 160 miles long, about 30 miles wide. And Crete is this incredibly beautiful island. You can Google it. Uh, I guess you could do it during my sermon because there you go. But it's beautiful. It's unbelievable. But it's this island that has a reputation about it. It has a lot of immorality at the time transpiring. And then it actually has this, uh, this saying about the Cretans. It said this, to act the Cretan simply meant to play the liar. That was their rep that they were just liars in everything they did. And so think about that. That's the reputation they had. We talk about the reputation of Tucson, and we always say it's a dry heat, right? Look, it's hot in July, okay? It's just hot. That's what it is. But it is a dry heat compared to a lot of places. And so there's this reputation going on within. And besides the general themes of what he writes in the pastoral epistles, so First and Second Timothy and Titus are kind of those three books, and there's some general themes you'll find about how, how to establish the church, some church leadership and governance uh, principles behind it, some things that are kind of laid out for pastors and leaders and those that are trying to, to build. Titus gives us a really concise summary of how a believer should live out the doctrine of grace with godliness and good works. So, 921 words in the whole book. 
and you can really boil it down to two. Do good. Do good first within yourself. Grow your character, that your character matters. Do good in relationship one to another. Do good to the world and the influence that you have around you. That's chapter one, two, and three. And so in 900 and some words, you could really boil it down to this expression that we're meant to have. That Paul kind of sums this up perfectly in Titus 3.8 as he says this in 3.8. This is a trustworthy saying. So he's just kind of talked about the gospel a little bit. We'll unpack that. And he's saying this is a trustworthy saying and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God, So those who have put their faith in Jesus, those who have trusted their life to God, his leadership, that they may be careful to devote themselves to what? To doing what is good. That you would devote yourselves to doing what is good. That you would be a person who's kind of all around this aspect. In fact, if you read through your Bible, you're going to see some headings that you see in chapter 1, 2, and 3. Elders who love what is good. That's one of the titles and one of the kind of subtitles of chapter 1. Rebuke those who fail to do good. Do good for the sake of the gospel. In chapter 3, save in order to do good. So you see this rhythm, this, this title and this phrase, this do good in how you live. Because you are one who has been saved by a good, good God who has an incredible grace. You didn't earn it, you got it, you received it, and now it's supposed to have an an application into your life. See, the doctrine of grace is not just that, oh, I'm saved, that's awesome. The doctrine of grace is meant to have an impact and a residual ripple effect through your life. It's not just something you hang on to and go, oh, that's nice, and that's a good concept, and I'm glad I have that. No, it's meant to change and impact and and kind of revolutionize and transform our life as the Spirit is working within us to be more and more godly in how we live and to have an expression of good works that we do God's good in the world around us and the influence and the scope and the impact that we can have. And so that's kind of the point of where we are. And so in Titus chapter 1, we're going to look at some things. It's the longest introduction that Paul has in any of the epistles that he writes. And he talks about this idea that no matter what your path is, you are one who is to walk with the Lord. That's the intention, is that you would have a vital piece to God's plan that, that would go about kind of introducing the hope and life of Jesus, the gospel, that people would not just hear it, but they would become impacted by it. It would begin to reorient their whole life and how they live after that. Titus, here's verse one. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, their knowledge of the truth, which leads to godliness. So in one phrase, he kind of starts off, and he's letting you know a lot about his life. I am a servant of God, is what he's saying. That is what has defined me. I'm a servant, meaning I have pledged my life to God. I've given my life in, in in admiration and in followership too, I've pledged, I'm I'm allegiance to him. I don't have an allegiance to something else. I have a sole focus, I'm a servant of God. I'm not my servant for myself, I'm not an owner of other servants, I'm not trying to oversee all these things, I'm trying to pledge my life to, 
to God. And I'm an apostle. I'm an ambassador. I'm one who declares this message of Jesus. I'm declaring the gospel. I'm declaring the hope and the truth of who Jesus is and what he has to say about life everywhere I go. And I do that because I want to build up the faith of those elect, those who have said yes to Jesus, those who will say yes to him. I want them to build up their faith. I want them to have the knowledge of the truth. I want them to know what the truth is. And I want that to lead to godliness in how they live. That's what Paul's saying right out of the gate. This is what I'm about. And he's writing to Titus, who he left on that island. See, right after the first Roman imprisonment, Paul and Titus probably went to Crete. They evangelized and began to have people say yes to Jesus and to this gospel story. And then Paul had to leave. And so Paul leaves Titus as this apprentice and says, look, you're going to finish what we started here. You're going to set things up and get things going and get things in order. And so he leaves them there. And now he's writing this letter back to Titus to say, look, here's what I want you to focus on. Much like he did with Timothy in Ephesus as he writes to him. So that's why these are called kind of these pastoral epistles. He's writing to the leadership and saying, here's what I want you to be about. And even though Paul was not one of the original 12 disciples, Jesus appeared to him. And he calls him in, and he's this apostle, and he's one who is hearkening the story and the hope of Jesus. And Paul's view of ministry was always long-term. I want you to hear that. Paul's view of ministry was always long-term. It wasn't a short-term flash in the pan. It was always long-term. He was not content to aim at people just responding to the gospel. His goal was to bring people into spiritual maturity in Christ. That's his passion of what he writes about. Of all the letters that he writes, you'd read this theme, this heartbeat behind what he writes. He writes about that in Colossians 1 where he says, We proclaim him, we proclaim Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that. Anytime you see a so that in the Bible, circle it. Because what he's just said is so that it's going to do this. Okay, So that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor and struggle with all of his energy, which he so powerfully works in me. I want to raise people up that they may be mature in Christ. I want people to know who Jesus is and to become more and more like him. So he kind of says this three little simple phrases. Faith, that they would have faith in Jesus. They would have knowledge of the truth, and it would lead to this godliness. It's almost like this pattern that Paul plays out all throughout his letters to see this maturity in Christ. Not something that's just a flash in the pan, not just something that say, okay, I prayed this prayer, and then I guess I get to go to heaven when I die. No, it's this idea of maturity in Christ, that you would grow in your faith, you would own your faith, and walk that out with Jesus. And so he goes on in uh, chapter 1, verse 2. He says, I do all this in the hope of eternal life, which God who does not lie, why is that there? because we just read about the Cretans and how they're known as liars. And so he's saying, God doesn't lie. So here's the hope that you have. God doesn't lie, promised before the beginning of time, which now and all appointed season has been brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. Meaning this message that you hear Peter talk about, this message you hear me talk about, it's all about Jesus, and we want people to understand the full expression of that. I'm writing to you, Titus, verse 4, to Titus, my true son in our common faith. Probably someone he spent a lot of time with. 
invested a lot of energy and a lot of effort championing his faith and helping him grow. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And then, kind of the premise of what we're looking at for chapter 1. Verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete is that you may put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. You're going to put in order what was left unfinished, meaning the church was started because the church isn't a building, it's people, it's a movement, it's not brick and mortar. We may dwell in a building, we may hang out and gather in one, but it's not a building. Just because a name says church on the front doesn't mean this is a church. You are the church. I'm the church. And we're all part of it together. It's this movement. And so Paul's writing to Titus saying, look, we didn't get that all finished. We didn't get that all set up. And so I want to write to you how to champion the church and how you finish establishing that. And I want you to write to establish leaders over the church that will help direct it and lead it and move it forward. So he, so he puts this description of an elder, an overseer of what the church would be like. And what he doesn't write is kind of interesting. He doesn't write about their experience as leaders. He doesn't write about what their abilities should be. He doesn't write about what their skill sets should be. What he writes about is their character. And yes, this is for leaders of a church. And so if you are sitting here and you aspire to be a leader in a church, well, then he's writing directly to you. But he's not writing only to you or only to me. He's writing to everyone who has said yes to Jesus. This is the kind of character that you're to have formed within you as a follower of Jesus. See, spirituality, sometimes in our culture, gets kind of dumbed down and we begin to measure it in terms of how much Bible knowledge do you have? How many verses can you quote? How many pious prayers do you pray? How many attendance at religious gatherings do you have and can you mark off? See, those measurements can become misleading, can't they? They can even be faked. They can. I can show up at something and, and say that I'm there, but I can be a totally different person somewhere else. And so he's writing to not just activities or, or skill sets or abilities. He's writing to something much, much deeper. Spirituality is to be measured uh, as the extent of the Holy Spirit motivating, empowering, and changing our lives from the inside out to reflect more and more of who Jesus is and what he's like and how he lived. That we would understand how he acted and we would act that way. We would understand what he said, we'd obey it. And that we'd become more of that. That's what Paul's writing to Titus. Look, I want you to focus on character. See, disciples are built and nurtured and grown with Christ-like character within them. That they will naturally overflow into Christ-like actions that come out of them. It's kind of like John Wooden, a great UCLA head basketball coach. He said this quote, I love it. Be more concerned with your character than with your reputation because your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what others think you are. I think we live in a culture that spends a lot of energy and a lot of time and a lot of focus on our rep. I, I want to work on the reputation. I want to work on how people see me or what they say about me. I want the five-star rating. And so I'm going to live in a way where I get the five-star rating. 
And when I'm not around you, I may not live that way. But I want you to think I live that way. And so I work on my reputation, and my hunch is, if it was just you and me in the coffee shop and we could talk real shop, that that may be something that catches your attention too. And if we're not careful, we can get stuck just trying to focus on our reputation instead of something deeper that will impact, and it's our character. See, chapter one is really all about pointing to the importance of holiness and to our Christian character. Jesus said in Matthew 7, by your fruit you will be recognized. And there's still a lot of truth in that. By the fruit of your life, you will be recognized, which is more than just a reputation of some activities that you may do from time to time, but the character, the good, godly, consistent character. Not perfect, because no one here is, but consistent character. Uh, I was at lunch this week with a friend who hadn't seen in probably a dozen years helping us with the project that we're working on, and, and uh, in, in talking with him, at the end of our conversation, get back to the office and drops me off, and he says, look, I want you to know how much impact you've had on my life, that I've known you 12, 15 years, and you're the same guy off the stage as you are on the stage. You're the same person today than you were 12, 15 years ago. Things have changed, and there may be some differences, but the reality is you are who you say you are. And that kind of caught me. I was like, wow. I mean, I hope you hear that about your life. I, I was grateful to hear that. Now listen, I'm broken, okay? <laughs> I've got flaws. I've got stuff that God is still working on me on. There's still a lot of transformation work God still has to do. So don't say that. To, I say it because I want you to hear that in your life because it's about this consistent godly character, not perfection because no one's perfect. This is about saying, okay, for the long haul, I want to be a person that's more and more like Jesus and I want to be more and more like him this year than I was last year and this decade than last decade and that's a slow, steady work of partnering with the Holy Spirit, asking God to transform your heart and saying yes to him over and over. It's getting to that place of, of saying, I want to have this consistently good, godly character in me. And so Paul writes to Titus and says, look, this is what I want the leaders of the church to have, but he's really, really saying it for the, the character of people who have said yes to Jesus, who are walking after trying to follow Jesus. Here's what he says. An elder or someone who said yes to Jesus is to be blameless, faithful to his wife. Here's what that means in Greek. He's a one-woman man, meaning he's not distracted by so many other things or other uh, interests in life, but he's, his heart is for his wife. Her heart is for her husband. That this idea of you are dedicated there, a person whose children believe are not open to charge of being wild and disobedient since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless. Not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Here's some things, Titus, I want you to stress that people would avoid that this would not become part of their character and not part of who they are. Rather, verse 8, if you see the word rather, just circle it. 
Because he's saying, look, here's the before, like here's the stuff you don't want, and then here's some stuff that you do want. They must be hospitable. One who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, who's upright, who's holy and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message, this message of the gospel. He must hold firmly to that as it was being taught so that they can encourage others with sound doctrine and they can refute those who oppose it, who try to dilute it or try to to steer away from it or to give a false gospel or a secondary thing that wasn't what was preached. You got to know the scriptures. And so there's this invitation of what Paul's writing to Titus. Look, as this young pastor, as this young church leader, he's trying to establish other leadership in the church and the governance and leading of that, but really trying to speak into the life of people who have said yes to Jesus. Here's what I want you to focus on. Here's what I want you to focus on. I want you to kind of lean toward this. So what does a good Christian leader look like? Well, it's fascinating to me that it's not about accomplishments. It's not about accolades. They're looking at their character, the who you are over time. That's what Paul's kind of nailing down. This list is the challenge, and it isn't just for Christian leadership. We're all called to be ones who reflect God and good character to a world that's watching you. People are watching you all the time. Have you ever thought about this? You are the greatest Christian someone knows. Think about that. You are the greatest Christian someone knows. Now, at some point when I when I say that, you might be like, "Oh man, we're in trouble," right? Because that's my first thought. Um, Some of you may be like, "Oh, okay, ooh, that's a lot of pressure." But think about that. You are the greatest Christian someone knows. And so this challenge is not just written, you know, 20 centuries ago. This is written for a here and now to a world that's watching Christians and how they live and how they act and how they react. Again, not for perfection, but for steady, good, godly character and growth in that. Jesus said, you are the light of the world, that wherever you go, you're to bring his light with you. I don't know if you know much about lighthouses or not. There's been about 1,500 of them constructed in the United States. In about 1910, the highest call of them, about 850, were functioning. There's over 200 on just the Great Lakes alone. And, and the point of the lighthouse was to point out, here's where the destruction path is. Like, here's where the rocks, here's where the bad places are. You want to avoid that. You want to shine a light that says there's, there's a better direction this way. And Jesus comes along and he says, look, you, you're the church. You're the light of the world. And everywhere you go, you have the commission and and the purpose to shine in a way that people can see. As a church, we want to bring the hope and light of Jesus to the heart of our city. That wherever we go, we carry with us the Spirit of God and the commission to shine his light. And you shine brightest and best, not by simply doing some good things from time to time, but being the right kind of person of just being the right kind of person. It's not your skills or your talents. That's not what Paul is championing here. He's not looking at things from a worldly perspective, like what's your experience, what's your abilities. No, he's saying, look, I want you to drill down to character. And character is deeper than reputation. And so focus here. We're meant to leave an impact from the overflow 
of how we live. God is doing a work. Remember Philippians 1, 6? He who started a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, meaning that we're always in partnership with the Holy Spirit of the work God is doing in our inner character, transforming us that we might be more and more like Jesus. Not just say things, but that we would become more and more like that. It's, it's kind of thinking of living above the crowd. We, we live in a world where the crowd is kind of like what the crowd says, that's what's normal or that's what's to go. And yet what Paul is kind of challenging Titus and challenging these early believers and challenging us is, hey, what if you lived above the crowd? Which means you may stand out at times. It may mean that you have to sacrifice a little bit more. And it may mean that you're saying no to some things and you're saying yes to these things because they're actually the better way to live. And they might be challenging, they may be difficult, but it's actually the best possible way to go. And so Jesus has this challenge over and over. We see it throughout the epistle writings of Paul and Peter saying, look, you're to live differently. You're to be set apart. Your competency and your talent may get you somewhere, but it's your character that will actually keep you there. Your competency and your talent may get you and open doors and and get you somewhere, but it's your character that's actually going to keep you there. Your character will determine your capacity in life. And so the quality of our souls is to be inevitably touched others for good or for ill. We're going to have an impact on people. So we must never forget that the most important things happening in the moments of our life, in our activity, in our duty, in our actions, is are we becoming the kind of person that Jesus wants to produce within us? Are we cooperating with that? Or are we just trying to build our rep? Or are we trying to sidestep something here or dissolve something over here? God is most concerned with the quality of the character that we're becoming and that we're growing within us. That's the transformative work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life and in my life. In a world that loves to focus on our rep, God's saying, hey, look, can we just drill down to the character part? Because that actually will influence everything. And so would you just cooperate with me here and let's work on some things. You ever had those moments with God where like you do something and and in that moment it's like the Holy Spirit saying, hey, whoa, am I the only one? Okay, there's times where you do something and it's like the Holy Spirit's like, what What was that? Anyone had these conversations inside your head? Okay, Um, I have those a lot. And it's where the Holy Spirit's like, um, hey, that, that thought, that intention behind what you just said, that, ooh, that, ooh. Let's work on that. And it's in that moment where I can say, nah, I'm not going to worry about that. I don't think it'll affect my reputation. But the Holy Spirit's never asking that question. He's asking the question, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, This is about your character. And and I'm here to work on that. And so I want you to say yes to, yeah, you're right. I probably should journey with you there a little bit and have you chip away at that. That's called sanctification. It's a big $10 theology word that simply means that I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. 
that, that God is shaping me. And sometimes that's shipping away at things and knocking edges off of me. And sometimes that's whispering, hey, what you just did, that was awesome. Let's do more of that. Let's partner to do more of that. that that's your character changing and becoming more and more a reflection of Jesus. You're starting to shine like he would. And so it's this constant tug of war. Uh, this God's intention is for our lives that we would be a seamless manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit. Do you remember the fruit of the Spirit? Maybe you learned it as a kid in VBS in Galatians 5, remember? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. All right, some of us got it. All right. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That those fruit of the Spirit that they would become more and more evident, fruit of your life, that they would be reflective in how you live. I love a couple quotes here from Dallas Willard. He said, the fruit of the Spirit, in contrast, gives a sure sign of transformed character. When our deepest attitudes and dispositions are those of Jesus, it is because we have learned to let the Spirit foster his life in us. That's the moments where the Spirit's whispering, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Or, hey, that was awesome. Let's do more of that. Let's work on that. And it's learning to partner more and more with listening and obeying what the Spirit's teaching. Uh, Dallas also said this, if we do not make formation in Christ the priority, then we're just going to keep on producing Christians that are indistinguishable in their character from many non-Christians. See, what we talk about with discipleship around here is that. That's what we mean. Formation of Christ. That who Jesus is becomes more and more who we are and how we reflect him to the world around us. And if we don't keep that as a priority, if it's really just about checking the box of, well, I showed up to church or I, I prayed today or I, I did this, if it's only about checking the box, then we're not really working on formation of Christ. We're working on our reputation. And what the scriptures say over and over and drill down to is this is about character. This is about a transformation of the inner person, the inner man, the inner woman, becoming more and more like Jesus. This is about helping us move that way. So here's the series takeaway. You'll hear it the next three weeks. Being good and doing good isn't what makes you right with God. That's what Paul said in verse 1. But when you're right with God, it will always produce a life of doing good. So being good or doing good isn't what makes us right with God. But when you are right with God, it will always produce a life that does good. Does good within, does good within relationships outward, and does good within influencing people around us. It begins with doing good on the inside. Saying, God, I want to grow my character. I don't want to just be a person who works on my reputation. I don't want to be a person that just checks things off the box. I want to be a person that has good, godly character consistently. Not perfectly, ain't no one perfect, but consistently, over time. Would you help grow my character to be like this? Would you grow me to have godliness in my life and to have godly character? That Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God's willing to uphold his end of it. We've got to partner with him. So here's the simple question to end with tonight. Here it is, you ready? How's it going in allowing God to craft and cultivate and grow his character within yours?
That's the takeaway tonight. It's a question. How are you doing in that? What would it look like for you to take five minutes this week? Ten minutes, maybe. And just sit with that question. Say, God, honest time. Like, honestly, you and me, we're hanging out here. How am I doing? And just allow the Spirit to say, you know, kind of lead you. And maybe there's an area of life where it's kind of out of kilter. And, and it's, it's tilted in a way. And the, the Spirit might be saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, let's shift this a little bit. Here's something we need to learn to let go of. Here's something I want to build into you more. I want you to say yes to this more. So how's it going? And I just want to strongly encourage you. Take five or ten minutes this week. Just sit with this question. And ask God to show you. Because he wants to grow your character, friends. Now, you may be here and a person who's, who's not in a faith journey yet. And I still want to challenge you to wrestle with your character. See, your reputation, your talent, it may get you in rooms, it may open doors, it may get you somewhere. But I'm telling you, it's your character that will keep you there. And so even if you're not a person of faith yet, this is worth your investment. Now, my challenge to you is you can build that all on your own or you can have some supernatural, powerful help. I would suggest that you lean that way. Because this is really hard to do on your own. In fact, it's almost impossible. But what if you were to lean in the direction of God and just begin to ask him, God, would you show me how to grow as a person? Would you help me even know you exist? God's not afraid of that question. In fact, I think it's one of his favorites to hear. So challenge him on that. Meet him with that. How am I going to grow my character? How can I grow in this? And so Jesus, as we wrap up tonight, as we lean into communion here in a moment, we remember the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That it's in his life that we understand that you came pursuing a relationship with us. It's in his death that he paved a way that we could have a right relationship with you, not because of our merit or not because of our activity or our experiences or our abilities or our talents, but simply because of faith. Of saying yes to the gift that you provided. That we could have life with you, God, through faith in Jesus. And then it's his resurrection that now empowers us to say, look, I don't have to live life on my own. I get to be empowered by the living Christ who wants to continue to do a work in me and within me and through me to the world. And so as we hold this bread, as we take this juice, we remember that. And as we do this activity tonight, we simply want to make this a prayer. God, we want to surrender our lives to the ways that you want to shape our character. So even as we look at the end of the year, 2019, would you this week, Holy Spirit, whisper to us, here's one thing I'd love to chip away at, or here's one thing I'd love for you to hold on to and build into your life a little bit more, to grow our character. Would you whisper that to each one of us here? We worship you. 
with our actions, with our thoughts, with our song. We want to lean into you these next few minutes. And so, Spirit, would you just whisper to us, nudge our hearts, and move us forward tonight.